Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined by a special guest. We've got Jen Bishop, author of Free Throws, Friendship, and Other Things We Fouled Up on the podcast today to talk about her new book, but also Cincinnati Bearcat basketball. Jen, how's it going? Well, I'm still recovering from the red season ending, but it's a great day to be a Bearcat. Indeed. Did I do it correctly? It is. You nailed it. You nailed it, Jen. Have- you nailed it, Jen. Okay. So this is uh, this podcast for me seems like a long time coming. On the uh, on the app formerly known as Twitter.com, I want to say it's a couple years ago now. At this point, we. Um, I started, you know, seeing your tweets here and there. You clearly uh, loved Cincinnati Bearcats basketball for quite some time now. And, uh, you know, offered to have you on the podcast back then. And at the time, you said, hey, I'm actually going to be, you know, I'm currently working on a book that's going to be based in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I think that this might be something that would work better or be better timed when that book is releasing. Well, fast forward to October 2023, and you are releasing this Free Throws, Friendship, and Other Things We Fouled Up, which is a book that is very much based on Cincinnati, Ohio, but also University of Cincinnati basketball, Xavier basketball, the ultimate college basketball rivalry. And so maybe the way I kick it off to you, Jen, how do you, um, author of of several big-time novels, land on writing a new story that is, the backdrop of it is Cincinnati Bearcats basketball? That's a great question. Um, and so my first book is a baseball story. And I thought like, this is the one sports story in me because this is the only sport that I know intimately. Even though I didn't play baseball, I was like a huge Red Sox fan. So my husband and I moved to Cincinnati in 2016. My only experience of college basketball is like filling out my dad's March Madness pool growing up and like, you know, rooting for those games, but not like ever having the experience of like deeply caring for a team. And then, you know, in 2018, the Bearcats had their tremendous run, which ended when they ran directly into Nevada. And I was just like so devastated by how everything ended. So I thought like, this is my moment. This is the time when the whole country is going to fall in love with my team. And, you know, was it wasn't meant to be. Um, and then as like that next couple few weeks went on, at first I was like, I can't watch March Madness. And I'm like, oh, I'll just watch like a little. And I started to get this idea for a story that was set you know, with a rivalry, but also taking like a lot of the bits and pieces of the stories I enjoyed in that March, that particular year's March Madness, they all sort of sort of found their way, you know, into the story that's set in Cincinnati. So definitely, you know, it happened by chance. Um, but as I live, as I became like, so we're now, I think this is our seventh year in Cincinnati. So now I feel like I, I know per Cincinnati, like I'm still very new, but I also in that time have learned so much about how Cincinnati loves itself. And like, as I was conceiving this story, I just realized like how fun this would be to, to have this book set in Cincinnati, to play with these rivalries, to use all these locations in Cincinnati. Cause I just knew it would be, it was like, just super fun to share, you know, with the kids locally, but also just in general, just to have like my first book. Cause I think this is, uh, this may be my second book that I wrote. I can't even count them anymore. Yeah. Um, my fourth book, I also like conceived of in Cincy, but the timeline of publishing as you can tell from like your story of when we connected on Twitter and I was writing the book to like when the book came out, came out, that was probably like two to three years in between, I'm guessing. Um, but like, yeah, the, t- the publishing timeline is very, it's very long again from that Genesis story. It's 2023. And you, you, very much nailed, you very much nailed the Cincinnati components of the book. I mean, you've got some East side talk, some West side talk, uh, obviously some references to skyline. Um, Look, as someone as someone who's grown up here in the city and, and lived here most of my life, I would say it's uh, from that standpoint, it's very very nostalgic, and it's it's a book that's certainly geared toward a younger audience than myself. I was telling right. you before the the podcast started, um, I I did read the book, but I also had my daughter read the book, who's nine years old, and I think this uh, this book is probably primarily like a middle school audience, is my guess in terms of who you're who you're uh, marketing to, who's going to primarily read it. Um, but it was interesting, you know, the first thing that jumped out to me is you've got the coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats is named coach March. Now you've probably 
come to learn a little bit more about Cincinnati Bearcats basketball and the history of our performances in March. Correct. And there's there's a bit of a painful irony to you naming the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball coach Coach March, just based on some of the painful experiences we've we've seen here over the past decade plus. Yeah, and I would say those are directly acknowledged, I think, more in the book. I think like any book that is rooted in some real things, like, you know, so much revision happens when you write a story. And early on, my husband was like, make sure this isn't like Mick Cronin fan fiction. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, <laughs> there are definitely like, there's one thing that like one detail that I think anybody who listened to the Mick Cronin radio show will probably remember that he mentioned doing as a kid where I was like, this is too great. Like I'm, I'm popping this one detail in here. Um, but mostly I'm like pillaging from like many different sources. So like in no way is Nick March, you know, we've now it's amazing because when I started writing this book, Mick Cronin was our coach and he'd been our coach for so long. And now it's like turned over so much that I'm like, it feels natural that like, of course, Rory's dad is the new coach at Cincinnati because the position just like was a little bit of a coaching carousel situation. Hopefully not for a while. I, I, uh, I, so this is a first for you where you're joining a, sports focused podcast that generally talks about, you know, game reactions and how did you see play against BYU in football or how do you think West Miller is doing on the recruiting trail and what are your expectations? Not my forte or ne- not necessarily something I've experienced doing in terms of, of reviewing a book or, or previewing a book because this is this is coming out in a few weeks now. What's the official release date of your book? October 24th, so just over two weeks. October 24th. You can pre-order the book now. I, I do want to just kind of set the table a little bit. It's a story about two middle school girls. They're they're, they're at the forefront of the story. Uh, Rory, whose dad is Coach March, head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats. And she befriends Abby on her first day of school at a brand new school. She moved to Cincinnati with her dad. Um, and she had a tough decision to make there in terms of who she went with between her mom and her father. Ends up in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, because of there's a, there's a family connection actually back to this this university sort of a dream job for coach march and uh but friends abby who is the daughter of the head coach of the xavier men's basketball team and so you can sort of envision how the story plays out from there in terms of uh you know the the conflicting emotions that might come from your father's having such an intense um relationship on the court but then it turns out there's a lot of history between the two of them as well are there real stories in the college basketball world that you're pulling from in terms of the dynamics between Coach March and Xavier's head basketball coach, who I'm, I'm blanking on at the moment um, in, in the yeah, story. Uh, yeah, so I guess I wasn't like in that. So in that relationship, I was really inspired in the 2018 March Madness. It was, it was more like thinking about them as kids being close. And there were two players on Loyola Chicago that had like grown up together, but then had played at different colleges and came together and such a big part of that team. So it was more about like, the, you know, thinking about like them as kids that that got tracked forward. And I think for each coach individually, I have some sort of archetypes that they fit in the mold of. And I feel like, like particularly like Nick March is much more of like a Mick Cronin or like Dan or Danny Hurley, like just very, you know, high energy, like really screaming guy. And then Abby's dad is more of like a silent stalker, you know, kind of like up and down the sidelines, but not, not quite as like fired up. But not yeah, quite not as animated. Yeah. Not, not going to necessarily generate the same enthusiasm that, that the Mick Cronin types will on a national basis. Right, I mean, you right. kind of you kind of create a persona for yourself on a national level. I think he's he also he's also one of the like he's a more like a shorter male coach that did not have a professional basketball background. Whereas <laughs> my, my genesis of Abby's character is her dad did play in the NBA, you know, for a handful of years. Um and he has just like kind of like a different different physique and different, yeah, just different different way of probably relating to his players as a result of that. Well if you don't mind, I want to probe a little bit on the on the Cincinnati connection and yeah. You know, kind of falling in love with UC basketball through the Mick Cronin era. You're the, we have a friend of the podcast who we call Mitch from Canada, who started listening to this podcast early when we started it back in 2019. And he too became a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan later in life. He has no connection to Cincinnati or the, the city itself. He simply loved Mick Cronin and that era of Cincinnati basketball, which differs from a lot of lifelong UC fans who right. maybe grew up, you know, they, they fell in love with those Bob Huggins era teams and then they grew into the Mick Cronin era and have followed it since. So tell me about maybe finding yourself in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then what led you to the Cincinnati Bearcats specifically? Because there is another college basketball team 
in there Cincinnati is. that's quite well, popular that does also have husband. some success. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so my husband came, he came to Cincinnati because of my husband's job. So he was recruiting, he, he's a professor at University of Cincinnati. So early on when he had the interview, I was like, you know, for every school he interviewed with him, like I do a little deep dive. Like one time he was like interviewing for a school in the UK. So I'm looking at like, you know, apartments we could live in. And for Cincinnati, I'm like, I don't know anything about Cincinnati, but their basketball team is good. Like that was like the one thing I knew because like, you know, zoom all the way back to like my childhood. Like as a kid, I used to fill out my dad's March Madness pools. And one year I won and I got all that money and I got to, I got to buy like a TV from my bedroom. And it was like the coolest thing ever. So like from that moment forward, because I experienced winning personally in March Madness, like I always, you know, kind of tangentially followed that. And so like, I knew that this team was good. And I also knew how fun it has been in my life to passionately care about a sports team, you know, from the experience of being a Red Sox fan for me, which in my childhood was like the pre winning the world series. And then I got to experience like three, maybe four worlds. I'm trying to think like three world series in my lifetime so far with them. Is it four? I can't even remember. Like, this is like, is this like, so I just knew that if that was the thing that I could get into in Cincinnati, that like, like, this is a thing I can probably, you know, enjoy. I still like underestimated the extent to which I would like just get really into it because I had no idea about the intensity of the fandom, the being on the two sides in the city. And then, so moved here 2016. I think I just watched on TV, but I was like, okay, so I'm watching all the games. I'm not, I'm not like a cat. I don't believe in the word. Like, you know, if you're a fan, that means like you're a fanatic. You're not like a casual fan. And so I've never been a casual fan of anything. And so 2016, he watched like the games on TV 2017, I'm like, I got to get, I got to go in person. And that was, that was when they were playing at NKU. So it was harder to go to the game. So I think he went mm -hmm. to one or two games there. And then with how it ended in March Madness, I was like, well, this was like so devastating. Like, I'm like, I need to, like, I need this pain more in my life, basically. And then we got, <laughs> from that point forward, we've been season ticket holders and we've gone to like, you know, pretty much all of the games, except for when we got COVID at the Skyline Cross Dungeon shootout last year, then we had to miss a stretch of games while we recovered. But I'm like, if, the, if I'm going to get COVID, I'm like, this is how I want to get COVID. Like, I want to get COVID at the Cross Dungeon <laughs> shootout. Like, that is the most on-brand way to get COVID. Um, yeah, true. And I, I had a... I'm sorry. Oh, keep going, keep going. Um, I'm sorry, my answers always have, like, multiple tangents. Because I've never had, like, I'm so excited to do a podcast that, like, is so much about the thing that I love, which is in this book. Um, but the other things, my husband went to Stanford, so he kind of kind of got to experience like college sports. I went to university. A lot of, of college Chicago. sports, a lot of great college oh, sports at Stanford, not just basketball, everything across the board. Yeah. But I so growing up in New England, you know, UMass, there was the Marcus Camby year was when I was a child, like one of those years. But then the Rick Patino stuff, and then just, you know, so like there was nothing to care about besides like UConn women's basketball. You know, fast forward, I go off to college, I go to University of Chicago, we're D3. I went to one football game and a parent was playing the sound of cheering on a boombox. So that was like the epitome of my college sports experience. But well, 2020, they're actually doing that in stands. So you had already seen that. This was sort of foreshadowing yeah. for what we were going to experience during the COVID era. I think I saw a highlight yeah. recently of Mason Madsen shooting a three while in a Bearcat uniform during those empty stadium days. And I completely forgot we were playing cheering in the, in the stands like on tv you were hearing a crowd there wasn't actually a crowd university of yeah. chicago was responsible for uh inventing that technique apparently yeah but i mean so we you know since we've been into like one football game but before we were good but like i don't know for me the experience of the basketball games like these home games like i don't know I did, there's, there's just nothing like that um that kind of atmosphere and environment and i i just love the rabidity of the fan base and the intensity and i just it's so strange because like I was not a team sport athlete as a kid at all. I was a runner. Like that was, I did, it was much more like cross country and track. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know the other, it's just the vicarious experience of all the sports is just like really fun. You stumbled in, I guess the way you were, you were indoctrinated with UC fandom though is kind of perfect where, did you say your first season as a fan is what ended in the Nevada debacle? That was your first season? That was my second season. That was my first season of like actually going to a game. And that was probably about the, we started listening to the rate, like listening to the radio, like before the games aired. Like I started to realize like how much, like I honestly like at first didn't understand how college sports was different. So I'm like, like now you can buy like a thing with your favorite player's name on it. I custom made my Garrett Clark as a problem sweatshirt. Like, I'm glad you're calling attention to this. If, if you're tuning in on, you've got to hop on YouTube. There's a, a shiny 
Gary Clark is a problem shirt that, that Jen is donning for this interview, which is truly perfect. Gary does know it exists, which is very exciting. It was very <laughs> exciting to like post that picture and like tag Gary and for Gary to comment on it. It was like, um, but yeah, it just was so strange for me to see like how, I don't know, like that these kids are the college kids, but they're in this world where they are also sort of very locally important. Again, like I just had no similar college experience. Like, you know, when I went to college, it was like, okay, some of our professors were famous. Barack Obama, like, was at the law library that I worked at. So, like, there was that. But generally, there were no students that were, like, on a different tier than the other students. Or I don't know. Just so, so for me, there's a lot of, like, mystique and um, novelty in this experience because of my, you know, more unique background coming in sideways. Yeah, I think, I think West Miller sort of needs to clip that explanation that you had there about the fandom and the the celebrity that you achieve here as a local college basketball player, because that is a bit unique to Cincinnati. I don't know that it's like that everywhere across the country, even at high achieving programs. Um, Jamar Johnson played for this team for one year back in 99, 2000, but he happened to play for the team that, you know, had the highest expectations by all, you know, re it would have been reasonable to expect the national championship had Kenny Martin not broken his leg. Yeah, yeah. And now he walks around Cincinnati and, and drinks are paid for, and everybody's coming up to you and saying hi, because you were, you were part of this incredibly special team to this community, but it wasn't even a professional team. It's a local, you know, amateur basketball team. That's I guess becoming less amateur as time goes on. But I do think right. playing for Cincinnati, that is one of the unique selling points is, you know, you're a made man in Cincinnati when you come and play Cincinnati basketball here. Yeah, I think just it's our, you know, we are a sizable city, but we don't have an NBA, you know, we don't have an NBA team. So I think like you're, you're going to get into basketball and you're here, like, and I think there are other people like that end up, you know, at the university, well, not, not physicists, I would guess. We're trying to help like the new physicists get into UC basketball, but it has been like a, a challenging process. Uh, we took like a Russian physicist to a baseball game and like there was like a you know long fly ball and he was like, how many points does he get for that? And we're like, he gets zero points for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I lost, I lost my train of thought there. Yeah, well, there's, I think it, once you're like in faculty, it sounds like your husband's at the university. And I think sometimes there's a little bit of a, a resentment or rivalry between what's happening with university athletics, how much it's prioritized, how much money's going into it versus what's happening at an educational level, especially at a university that is so okay. research intensive as you see like that. There's another dynamic there that I'm not certainly privy to, but I know that I know that it exists because I moved okay. when I moved back to Cincinnati in 2019. We moved to Clif the Clifton area, but it's like this Clifton Gaslight area that's sort of just north of campus. Mm -hmm. And I remember bringing up, you know, I'm, I'm an insane UC basketball fan, so I bring it up and I talk about it. But we were meeting a few professors in the neighborhood, and I just could tell instantly they were like, "I just couldn't care less. Please don't yeah, talk to well. me about this." And so, oh, okay, I won't. <laughs> I'll save it for the internet. About to go over to a friend's house who's an who went to UNC Chapel Hill and he and he's also a physicist and he will tell he you know he could just if he heard that you were a basketball person he would just like glom on to you and talk yeah. about basketball for yeah hours. I need to yeah. I need to find more of that yeah um, I think that's probably hit or miss but so I, I if we want to get back on topic here a little bit I'm I'm going to take you back down the the rabbit hole of UC hoops and I want to talk about the modern day team West Miller how you're feeling about this upcoming season. Um, in terms of being an author of books that are geared toward young people, you know, I, I think I would identify middle school as maybe your, your key audience here. How did you tell me a bit about your story of getting into to writing specifically for for our younger generations and, and children and and where you're like, how is that something that you, you stumble into or a niche that you decide you want to uh, you want to fill? Yeah, so I think it mostly came in from my background being a teen librarian. So I went right from college to library science school and like got my master's degree and then was working as a teen librarian and sort of fell in love with teen literature. And then eventually went back to school and got my MFA and thought like, I want to write young adult novels. And uh, despite that being what I said I was going to do, I ended up writing for this audience. I sort of stumbled into it. I worked with Rita Williams Garcia, who's like a, a National Book Award winning author. And I had this idea for like a, you know, a sort of a more, more of like a middle school, middle grade story, just like this sort of emotional softball story where like a, the main character's older sister had died the previous summer. And so we just kind of explored that with her and then thought that I had that good enough and sent that out looking for literary agents and found one. And so I sort of just ended up with this middle grade career, um, which is just different one than I expected of YA. But I really love this audience because 
this is what makes people readers like lifelong readers or like the, when books really resonate with you when you are like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, I feel like that's what really hooks you for life. And it certainly is when I sort of fell in love deeply with reading. It is, uh, I imagine it is incredibly influential. And I was kind of wondering if, if like subconsciously or maybe it was consciously, that was just like maybe the most formative time of your reading life that just you're going back to and, and sort of wanting to pursue these stories that you found so impactful as a young person and then wanting to share them with the, the next, next generations. Because it was interesting to see, you know, how quickly and excited my daughter got reading this book. Like just coming downstairs and sometimes like that, I will admit, I have not gotten her into UC fandom and I'm pretty laissez-faire okay. about like making my kids watch games with me. Like if they want to like it down the line, I imagine there's some, I'm sprinkling in some, I'm planting seeds for fandom later in life, but it's not something right now that she consciously wants to do, like watch the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team. But it was interesting to see her come downstairs and, you know, ask a couple questions about, um, the dynamics of the sports that were happening in the book, but she clearly understood uh, some of the tension in the friendship and tension between the dads and some of the, the conflict that happened with them earlier in their lives. Um, yeah, it's, just, it, it's interesting to me to sort of meet someone who's who's writing specifically about this because as a parent, I'm just loving the, the things that it gets them thinking about as she's reading this type of book. It's such a fun age. I feel like that's when I think back to like my favorite memories of just like being a kid and being in school, I feel like that fourth, fifth grade year were like some really magical years in terms of friendships and stuff that happened in school and things that just still feel really like alive and present and, and accessible. Um, Cause like, you're just, you're really figuring out a lot about the world and your place in it. Um, but there's also things you like deeply don't understand. So it's fun. We sort of hit up against one of those things where like, you feel like you, have a mastery of like your family or something. And then like something comes in and swipes you sideways and it's like, wait, what? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. The, the way you, you uh, tell the story in the book, it sort of is a, a progression towards quote unquote March madness throughout. And you can see the, uh, you know, 84 days until March madness is, is approaching. And it's, you're, you're seeing the dynamics between the relationships in the book play out through this timeline of, of a college basketball fan, which is, is a countdown to March Madness. It hasn't been a countdown for Bearcat fans in, no. in quite a few years here, but college basketball at large, that's sort of what it revolves around. Um, is that, is that goes straight back to your falling into the Cincinnati Bearcat world and, and knowing that like once October hits, I guess maybe it's November now, but once November hits, the countdown's on. It's all building towards Selection yeah. Sunday and, and hitting this, uh, this March excitement that happens yeah well, it's funny i think the book goes to, like every time i write a book like whatever the initial title is it changes from there so at one point it was called march madness and it was called the ides of march and it was like no kids will understand that so then i'm really happy with the title we landed on um but i think for a reader coming outside of the college basketball world, for me it, it always had to build towards like a big game happening at March Madness because that's what more people are aware of. I think with college basketball, like a lot of people just, just start tuning in or they tune in only for March Madness. And like, obviously like every fan base like is experiences the whole season, but then you just grab all these additional people who are like, I, I threw money in for a college pool or like my mom every year. She's like, I got, like, how is my team not winning? I'm like, mom, like that you chose UConn and like, they're not very good this year. So they're not going to win. Um, but <laughs> this is this thing that like pulls in a bunch of people into the madness. And I felt like it would also be fun to like, um, I'm, I'm excited to talk about the book, like online, assuming there is an online where everybody is not so fractured in 2 million different onlines as Twitter slowly dies. Um, but at like March Madness <laughs> time, um, yeah, you know, it's just, it's a weird time on social media right now. It really, it really is. I'm like over on blue sky, but it's like, it's like all the book people, but like none of the sports people. So I'm like, it just feels very strange, uh, of timeline for me versus, it's like, slow growth over at Blue Sky. I finally got the invite and got over there, but it's okay. just it's not it's not buzzing in the sports world, which is really all I use a lot of. Right, so it's still, still on X, yeah, or like Twitter, or whatever. But it's well, yeah, it took me it took me months to get the. Uh, you had a message about the fact that like I think you proactively reached out to me again about doing the interview, and I, I hadn't been on there in months because I had just kind of like I had overkill on Elon X. I just need I need a break from the, the craziness of X.com. Now that I'm back on, yeah. I'm, I'm just as addicted as ever, but it's it's certainly not what it once was. Um, yeah. One thing I got a kick out of was you've got these basketball rosters at the end of the book. Uh, you got a Xavier roster. You've got the Bearcats roster. You've got hometowns, weights, heights, classes. 
none of them are obviously real people, but I probably I spent way too much time trying to decipher who might have inspired which name and who okay. who's in here. Like I'm, you know, like there's an Octavius on the Bearcats team, and I'm like, oh, is that a is that a callback to Octavius Ellis? Is that is that a reference there? Or for some there reason, I, I kept thinking Jacob Evans was somehow on this roster, but I just couldn't. I wasn't positive on which name he was. There is a Jacob Clark, which is combining two. So stuff I would say, like, it's definitely an Easter egg thing where for my writing group that read this as I was writing it, all of them they have all of their last names are there and they got to choose a first name of a player. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was really fun. And then I have some like Easter eggs for I don't know, like other I feel like even some other teams, like at some point you start to need when you're writing a book, you need like letter diversity you can't have too many names start with the same letters end up in the same scenes so i feel like names kind of get jostled around um but yeah well you've got to i mean yeah Kenyon walsh is a pretty uh overt easter egg that that any bearcat fan is going to pick up on um Uh, did you did you consider putting stars in there like recruiting stars how highly touted were they coming out of high school oh yeah (laughs) so this is the thing i think now only now so i'm still not on bearcat journal like one year i paid for bearcat journal and then i was like this is too much for me and i'm not sure there's many women even in this space so i'm like i'm not sure this is where i belong um but yeah trying to figure out like how much to obsess about those things like i have uh friends that i think that um there are trivia mates before the pandemic um and they really helped uh, draw me and my husband into UC fandom because they went to UC so, and they're really, really into the football and the basketball team. Um, so they really helped like bring us into the fandom. Um, but I lost your thought. Um, yeah. Well, I'm not going to tell you on BCJ, but I am, I am. Maybe what I should be doing is pitching you on the Catskiller Social Club Discord. Maybe that's the well, place to do yeah, I did a lot of listening and like refreshing my mind, my memory about like different of your podcasts. Um, and I was trying to understand like where that is. It's a Discord channel. It's a Discord what channel. Is- it's it started it, the first time that the the rumor was that Twitter was going to explode after Elon took over. We decided to launch a, a Discord channel, and we called it the Cat Skeller Social Di- Discord. Um, okay, it's. It's essentially like a, it's an open flow conversational chat. So when basketball season's going on, you're going to see people getting in there and talking about what Wes Miller is doing. You see talk about football, but then there's these other channels, you know, like if you're into formula one racing, there's a channel for that. If you're into reading books, there's a channel for that. There's a channel for all, all sorts of things. Um, and we're just slowly kind of building up this community of people who the one common thread is we all love Cincinnati Bearcats uh, sports specifically, but then there's all these other, you know, break off channels about it. So we'll just, I, I told Justin Williams, who writes for The Athletic, that, um, well, he he's kind of, he hinted at the fact that he might be in, in there under a pseudonym. And maybe I'll have okay. to, we'll keep working on you. Maybe basketball season will bring you in there. I, know, I, I would definitely be interested. Um, it sounds like my husband, uh, he's a longtime, like, Oakland A's fan, though I think that is coming to a hard end at the end of the season. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, it's not, he's been part of some like A's blog thing. And I'm like, it just, he's still like, he, like, how do you know all these random people from the internet on your A's thing? But he does. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a fun yeah. time. I would say like my the big thing is like, like with the Bearcats is like, I'm like, okay, I got to get on. Like, you know, we paid for the athletic when it was separate from New York times. And like, I definitely was like a heavy, I definitely commented if I felt like I had something to say and would like rebut comments occasionally in there. I, I do enjoy reading Justin's columns. Um, and I had like a very popular response to all of that, that like I was obsessed with seeing how that was doing for like that particular weekend when. What was the response? Weekend. What was the response uh, during the John Brandon saga? <sighs> I was like, I won't talk about that in the podcast. Um, it was really about like, it just felt like a toxic workplace. And as someone who would love a toxic workplace environment, it just sounded like. Like everybody has PTSD from this experience. I mean, I forget. I feel like I wrote like a fairly eloquent paragraph long thing, but that was like the the main point of it. But I think it also was like the first comment or the second comment, so it got a lot of it got some engagement. Yeah, I think toxic toxic sounds like a safe descriptor of what happened during that time. I just wild. I don't know. <laughs> I had a little bit of PTSD recently when Scott Satterfield benched Deshaun Pace for a game, and it instantly took me back to. John Brandon uh, and the coach's decision for Jaron Cumberland. And I remember at the time when that happened, I just thought, what is that? Like, how can this be? How can we be less than five games into your tenure and you're benching Jaron Cumberland, who's going to be, you know, an absolute legend at this program. 
And I poked around and I was asking some questions. I made the comparison to some people who actually know things and do real reporting. And they did put my mind at ease and said, look, I know why you're thinking that. But at the same time, Scott Satterfield is running an absolutely, he's way looser, way more relaxed, way less tyrannical than what you were he's seeing. He's not burning something, putting it into an urn. So probably. No, nah, there's no no urn burns happening with, with Scott yeah. Satterfield, which is, if there's one thing that could put our mind at ease, at least about what's happening so far in the football field, that is one of them. Yeah. So let let me ask you about the the Bearcats basketball team under Wes Miller. We're, we're two seasons down, heading into the Big Twelve for our first season. Where's where's your head at so far with Wes Miller and what's happening at the the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program now? It's been pretty high in Wes Miller since he came. I realize we've had, but I think of it as more as like roster challenges more than anything else. Like I always am game for a coach that understands people on a human level, and so the fact that Wes really does that. Um, like that was just very obvious from his relationships with players. And so I'm excited to see that pay off, but I would not, I'm not surprised that like that alone does not, you know, create championship teams or, you know, even like, you know, first couple, I forget where we finished in the American last year. Were we fourth? Yeah, we were not that high. I think we were fourth yeah, we, we, we finished in the top 50 in Kenham. We just got there, right? We were at 50, like, so, or like 51. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm a hater and I basically say that you can't count movement after the NIT starts. If your movement's coming from NIT games, do, do okay. we really care? Do we really care? I forget what I forget when it was where, but it's also like we're now at the time of the year where it's like I can I know, we're almost like a month away from like my religious multiple times a day just like checking on Ken Palm. Like let's just see where things are in Ken as if they're gonna move like at other times during the day. <laughs> um but yeah I'm really excited to see I mean, so we went, my husband and I went to a Smith League game this year. So we got to see Rayvon and Jamil Reynolds play a little bit. Um, now I'm excited about the new pieces that they brought in. Um, I don't understand. This is like a firm thing I don't understand. I don't understand with the transfer portal, like when these waivers are finalized, because I saw like with Keith Williams, things get dragged out. Like he just never got an answer. And like, that was his answer. And then he, the whole year went by. So like, will we know about disease? Like, is there like a firm end time at which point like he's, he's able to play or he's not like, or do they just drag it out the whole time? There's, there's not a firm end time, but I do think the expectation is that we're going to be finding out in the coming weeks before the season starts. I mean, okay. reasonably you would expect that. Um, there was a, a case that a lot of people were monitoring at North Carolina for a football player who at first didn't get cleared, got rejected. And then we're what five games into the season, five weeks, he just got cleared because of quote unquote new information. The, the NCAA is not great, and there's a ton of problems with it, and they've basically lost complete control of all of college sports, and it's because they were never proactive in fixing any of their foundational issues in terms of compensating athletes and allowing them to make money off their name, image, and likeness. And now it's they have no way of regulating the money part, and this is sort of their last-ditch effort. In my opinion, it's their last-ditch effort to sort of maintain any semblance of control and it's just totally it's inconsistent it's unfair to the athletes um for what it's worth i heard that we were feeling pretty confident on one of the waivers and less confident on the other there wasn't even a name attached to either i think naturally okay. i would assume disease is maybe more up we're more optimistic about him but we don't know now, we don't technically know when we'll know but i think there's a lot of hope that it's going to be before the season I, I, it's certainly the big wild card in the room in, in terms of what happens and what kind of expectations we have. Can we get, can we use football players as walk-ons? I feel like we just, we clearly have a deficit with bigs. And when we were watching the games, like we went to the NIT game that was at Cincinnati and we obviously watched the one against like Utah Valley. And as I'm like watching Utah Valley, I'm like, that is, these guys so good. And I'm like, he was at Akron. Like, how did we not get him? Like how, this seems like a total failure. And then, you know, once he entered the portal, I was like, oh, we have to. So I've been so pleased that we got him. But it's like now we need to like, you know, it doesn't really work. Can he play? Yeah. Like, oh. But I'm excited. Reynolds all lost all this weight, looking athletic, big pass down yeah. the post. Aziz Bandego. I mean, we, we obviously know what he's bringing to the table from that game where we played against him. If if those guys are cleared, like my excitement, my expectations, and the hype is going to the moon. Um, yeah. But if they're not cleared, then our front quarter is Vic Locken, Odio Guama, and Sage Tolentino, who – hasn't played a minute of like high level college basketball yet. Right. It just seems, it seems like it's a, a tale of two completely different, like different stories. Who knows where this thing goes if they don't get cleared. 
it's also just such a big change. We just played so much, like so much of our offense was specifically David and Julius and Landers that I just, it's just having a hard time picturing like how, what the statute is going to look like for a Bearcat game. Like as we get deeper into the season, like what, where the points are going to go. I don't know. Like it just, um, just with so many new pieces who are going to be doing most of the scoring. I don't Did you know like the who... style of play last year? What was your what was your take on on what it was like to watch the team game in game out? I think somewhat frustrating as the season went on. Like um, I'm trying to think of like games where it drove me nuts. Um, it's now like everything sort of runs together. There's a two lane game that drove people insane, including myself, and it caused me to go on like send out an X.com thread that um, like what are these possessions down the stretch where we're just jacking threes from 25. No passing, yeah. no movement. At times, that's what frustrates me. And, you know, it's hard to – it's hard to. It, I'm not really wanting to criticize Wes. The recruiting is awesome. You, like you said, the relationship building, the way he understands people, the appreciation, and, and I just like how he emphasizes the relationship piece, especially coming from what we just experienced with John Brandon. All of that's great, but there was just times on the court where it's like, yeah, I get what the talent is, what the talent is, but – can we can we move a little bit without the ball? Can we pass it a few more times than a one pass and chuck the ball? And I think some of that is I I am very hard on Jeremiah Davenport and struggled watching him with some of the decision making. But I am hoping that this year there's there's a little bit more of a communal approach to how we play offensive basketball. I know I think that West got the most that he could out of the people that he had up to the personnel last year. I think that there was sort of a ceiling. And I think it would have probably caused so much dysfunction to try to do things differently at any point. Like he definitely seems someone who's gonna like. I mean, gonna play. Them. Did you read ever read Wes's book, by the way? I have not read Wes's book. No, I've okay, I definitely immediately read Wes's book when he became the coach. He's like, I've got to read this. <laughs> this will give me some insight to him. I feel like he was probably able to get more out of Jeremiah. Like, even though I know you were not satisfied, I think. I think as he he did do, sort of demote Jeremiah as the season went on, like into that more like coming off the bench role. But having read about like Wes's own experience in college and like the fact that he was more of a starter as a junior and then like not really starting as a senior, I feel like he can just reach players where they are and hopefully communicate to them if you need to move those pieces around throughout the season. Again, again like maybe it didn't didn't work out enough for us last year. Um, well, yeah. you, you inadvertently plugged now the second book on this podcast. So we've got The Road to Blue Heaven, an insider's diary of North Carolina's 2007 basketball season. Um, it's written by Wes Miller. I need to ask you then, what are the what are your like key three takeaways from the Wes Miller book? Okay. Big picture <laughs> observations <laughs> that, you, that you would like give us a, give us a peek into the mind of what you think it taught you about Wes Miller, the coach. Okay. This is hurting my brain a little bit because I read like 200 books a year. So it's probably like 600 books back in my memory. Um, I'm like, I remember reading it on a park uh, and telling a stranger about it when I was reading it. Um, what else do I remember about it? Um, I just feel like the biggest piece about that book, um, you sort of saw, I mean, at least for me, this is not about like Wes Miller as a coach, but like more like every basketball player as a person is like how many things they are. Like I, I see fans on Twitter that are like so hard on players and it's like a player is a player and they are, you know, a sibling and they are like the son of something. They, they just have so much going on in their lives. Um, it, it, it seems like it's all basketball, but it actually probably never, it, it's never all basketball. There's a lot of other components. Um, and I feel like Wes's book, you know, sort of drilled that home because his book, um, I mean, it's not like narrative nonfiction. It's very much like almost closer to like diary entries from each game that he played in his senior year. Um, and then he, and there's sections also from the point of view from um, whatever the local sports writer from Chapel Hill. Um, and he, so each chapter sort of bookended by those pieces. Um, but yeah, I think it just like, you know, appreciation for, I think he will always understand what other players are going through because he experienced so many different things over his four years at Carolina. Like he knows what it's like to be a walk. Like it would not surprise me if at some point during his long tenure, like here in Cincinnati, ideally that we see like a walk-on player who ends up taking on a bigger role because they've earned it or something. Like, I just think um, 
he, he just brings in a different perspective. We also have this friend that's like really into UNC stuff. So I'm just seeing that like he just comes from a very different coaching tree than the coaching tree that Mick was in. And I don't really understand if John Brandon was in a coaching tree or just very analytical. Um, but, you know, Wes has got his own, it seems like this own camp of the way baseball should be. And it's just, it seems to me it's very different. Defense, impressive defense, recollection. Defense. Impressive recollection of a 600 books ago. Um, <laughs> I think many people are, are probably thinking that they haven't touched that number in, in a lifetime. So <laughs> I am I am impressed by being able to recollect you being able to go back that far. Let me ask you, um, Wes's writing style. How are we? How is it grading? How is how is Wes Miller as a writer? <laughs> well, I'm not going to compare Wes. I mean, Wes Miller. He wrote this as a college student. So he'll never, he'll mind. never hear this, Jen. He'll never hear this. <laughs> I know he'll never hear this. But uh, my publicist did send books, so was, did send these books out to like. She just said like, have me put like put together a list of like you know different UC people and different Xavier people, which was exciting. So like obviously like I did the call out to like the people on Twitter that I knew know like you guys, and then like uh, Brian Fox and like a couple other people. But then Steve Fox, like, oh, friend of the podcast, nice. Yeah. Um. I also was just going through the coaches list and I was like, who's got children? And then so the ones that have the ones that clearly have children and, and name their children in their bio, I'm like, they're getting a copy. And I'm like, there's a prominent nun in this book. The chaplain and savior is getting a copy. Why not? <laughs> we'll just see. It's like, you know, my publisher's happy, they're they're gonna pay for it, they're gonna send the copies. Like, you know, who who knows what will happen? Um is the is the prominent is the prominent nun. Is that you, you talk about that 2018 tournament being so influential in some of the writing here? Is that Sister Jean? Is that a little Sister Jean callback? Definitely like a Sister Jean reference. She's definitely like not. Well, actually, so I read Sister Jean's her book that came out like this past year. I read mm-hmm. obviously this book. Well done. Did, by it, then. did Seth Davis help her write that? Was that Seth Davis who helped her yes. author that yes. book? Yeah. Okay. Um. Noted bear campaign. It's a great book. I'm just going to plug as many books as I can on this podcast. That was a wonderful book. Um, her love of sweaty huddles was something else. Like um, there were just like a couple lines that I like had to like write down afterwards. Where it's like Sister Jean. Like um, I mean, in the my book, obviously, like Sister Louisa Jean is just like a very different figure for these girls than like Sister Jean is. Um, but it was weird the way like I was raised Catholic but I'm not practicing Catholic anymore. I'm lapsed Catholic. Uh, but, you know, seeing coming to Cincinnati, I was like, wow, this city's still like pretty Catholic. They're like really into their Catholic schools. Big time. Big and time. I, I went to a Notre Dame in Worcester, Mass. And so I'm like, there's a Notre Dame here. And I'm like, it's the same sister's Notre Dame. So I'm like, I'm like Sister Louisa, she's going to be sister's in Notre Dame. I'm like, why not? Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, Sister Jean. One of my friends, <laughs> there was one night where I was like making out the list to my publicist, my friend. I'm like, I'm like, should we send Sister Jean a copy? I'm like, I think I found, you know, her address at Loyola. And she's like, like, if you're going to send it to her, you have to include like a handwritten note. And I'm like, no, I've had like bourbon. Like I can't write a note to Sister Jean right now. And so we did not send her a copy yet, um, but maybe. Oh, you got to. I imagine she would not read it, but I feel like if any person, at, if this lands on the desk of somebody in Cincinnati, I feel like they're at least going to look at it because they're like, it's got Skyline Chili on the cover. It's got the Roebling Bridge. I mean, you no. open up the cover and it's Cincinnati, Ohio lives and dies by college basketball. We're in. The minute <laughs> that you open the cover, you're in on this book and, and everyone's going to want their children to read it. So I think it's a, yeah, it's a no brainer. I'm glad to hear you're, you're spreading the word. I was going to make sure I'm tagging the uh, the main Go Bearcats accounts to try and get this shared okay. so that, the, so that yeah. people can enjoy the, uh, the interview. You're, you're, such an avid reader, and I'm not surprised by this, but I do think, you know, hey, we've given out three book recommendations. Is it is it unreasonable to ask you for your top five list for top five sports books of all time? And maybe we'll go we'll go nonfiction category. Okay, this is gonna be really hard. Uh because probably they're gonna be okay. Mm, this is like so Pat Summits. Autobiography was really good. Some of it. That's number five. Some of it. I was not prepared for the question. That's the title of the book, Some of It, or Some of It Was Good? I think it's called Some of It. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I'll look it up. I'll put that in the the show notes. But that's Some of Autobiography. This is like a book question. I suddenly am like, I turn to my bookcase. Okay, this was fantastic. Okay, well, I'm going to grab a couple off my bookshelf. 
So I'm working on like what I'm hoping might be another book set in the universe of this, which would be like a Sister Louisa prequel set in the 60s in Cincinnati. So I like did like a deep dive. So, but one of the things in my deep dive that I read was Oscar Robertson's The Big O Book, which Mm. if you have not read this and you're a Cincinnati basketball book fan, you really need to read this. Um, This was, this was fabulous. And then that's an autobiography too, right? Yes. Yep. He's probably written like a couple autobiographies um, or there's definitely like, a, obviously like a lot written about Oscar, but um, yeah, this helped me really understand more. I think I'm still always trying to fill in like the background on like UC basketball history. Um, but yeah, just because so much of this experience is set in Cincinnati from when he was a player. I, like I didn't know like UC used to be private. Um, which I guess probably the average student does know some of these things, but um I think you've frozen. Have I frozen? We, we're frozen, but it will kick back on. So you just, we got to keep riding through it, but I can hear you fine. We knew this would happen. I dared to type a comment in to try and take notes of these books. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, I mean, this is not my sports fact. My, my sports stuff is going to be Boston-y. But I obviously like really love the book that Stephen King and um, I'm blanking on his name. The one is like, it's like about the Red Sox. Uh, wow. Uh, I don't have my copy. My copy's downstairs. <laughs> I'm totally like a, Stephen King helped write this? Stephen King wrote a book about uh, Stephen King and Stuart O'Nan wrote a book about the Red Sox uh, called Faithful. Okay, I had no Baseball. idea Stephen King. That, again, it's probably sort of particular to the Red Sox. It's chronicling the 2004 season. So it's been a hot minute since I've read that one. Wow, it's been almost two decades since I read that one. <laughs> um, but I'm not, I read a ton of like sports stuff. Like I read much more um, just like journalism online than I do mm-hmm. read like book length stuff. Um, well, that's, that's three, that's pretty, that's well, pretty solid a, recommendations. If you've got two more. I've got one more. So another one is, so Will Leach uh, was one of the founders of Deadspan, right? So his mm-hmm. book, I'm sorry, it's like, I'm having to go back. Um, God Save the Fan or Are We Winning? Now I can't remember which one I read. It's probably in my Goodreads. I just love everything that Will, Will Leach writes about sports. Um, he's definitely one of my favorite sports writers. Um, and then I have to have one more. <laughs> Hmm. Oh, crap. Yes. I don't have this one here. Um, ooh, what is it called? Dust Bowl Girls is about um, women, women's basketball um, in like the 1930s, 1940s. That was really good. Dust Bowl Girls. That's Dust one I had not Girls. heard of. Yeah, that was one I think was like a popular book club book. If you had told me this question ahead of time, I would have like gone through all of my Goodreads for the last five years. That would require... Yeah, but that would require fun. far too much uh, planning by me, which is just yeah. not a That's forte of the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast. But you did yeah, On the I Fly, just... Pat Summit's autobiography, The Big O, Faithful by Stephen King, God Save the Fan by Will Leach. And you, you said there's another one he wrote as well. And then Dust Bowl Girls. Yeah, Dust Bowl Girls was really great. Okay. Well, I'm going to read. Yeah. Um, what was the last one? Oh, I was just saying, I've been kind of doing this, like, you know, research land of reading about women's basketball, like, in the, like, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, trying to understand how much, like, in what what, what few opportunities there might have been in the 60s and how one would, like, how much you would have even been aware of that for this, mm-hmm. this book I'm working on, but, like, it's not under contract and so it's possible, like, this will never see the light of day, but that's where I've been living for the last couple months. Well... I, I did give you a warning, Jen, that my camera was going to eventually just crap out, which appears to have happened during your top five. I'm now frozen in a uh, an abstract state here on the pod, but fortunately the audio is still good. All of that is, is salvageable. Um, okay. What I'm going to do is remind people, Jen Bishop, Free Throws, Friendship, and Other Things We Fouled Up is available October 24th. You can see it here. She's sharing it on the YouTube page. It's been in my background throughout the entire episode. Um, couldn't recommend it highly enough. And so if you're someone out there who's got a, a middle schooler, an avid reader, someone who likes reading about stories of friendship, um, 
stories about, and then you can, you know, you start brainwashing them a little bit with some basketball in the background. This is, this is something I highly recommend uh, you get. And also obviously you need to support a Cincinnati Bearcat fan like Jen, season ticket holder. Jen, anything else you want to make sure we're mentioning on the podcast today um, in anticipation of your, your book release here in a couple of weeks? Um, I guess, so on my website, I mentioned some local things I'm going to be at. If you wanted to come get a signed copy, I'm having my book launch party at the bookery, which is a bookstore in Columbia, Tusculum. That'll be on uh, Saturday, October 21st. Um, all these information is on jenbishop.com. Go to events and everything's listed there. Um, but I'll also be at the Books by the Banks Book Festival, which is at the Duke Energy Convention Center. Um, it's in November. I forget what the exact date of that is, but it's a Saturday in November. And that's like another thing where you can get you can get a signed copy. Um, but I'm yeah, excited to be doing more events locally for this book because it's it's a fun one to share with readers. Well, I'm excited to see the uh, community embrace it and get behind it. Uh, thank you again for reaching out and coming on the podcast here. I look forward to uh, enjoying the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball season with you um, and many others as we enter the Big 12. The schedule looks a heck of a lot different this year than it than it has in years in the last few years. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. Appreciate it, Jen. I'm going to go uh, call up the little one here to see if she can say hi to you, but I'm going to end the recording first in hopes that it restores my camera. All right, Jen? Yeah. Thank Yay. you. Go Bearcats. <laughs> Go Cats.